it would be unfair if you haven't heard of thomas soul or haven't read any of his works particularly if you are interested in the united states of america its politics its uh, intellectuals philosophers thomas soul is a conservative intellectual but he gets uh, a lot of respect from all sides he's been an economist a political theorist and a philosopher and uh, has written a number of books he gets a lot of appreciation for putting forward his points very rationally and with a lot of empirical data behind it and uh, he makes a lot of interesting points in his books which you won't find in normal conversations in the media or otherwise what i find particularly interesting about his works is that he constantly challenges some of the fundamental assumptions we make in our intellectual discourse particularly when it comes to political discourse so it would be nice if you get time to read his works and uh, today i'm going to give you a glimpse of his writing his view his views on race he is an african american himself but he doesn't really like the identity politics that goes behind it so let let me let me read some of his writings on the subject here we go racial discrimination is usually not very discriminating in the sense in which a wine connoisseur is discriminating in being able to detect subtle differences in tastes aromas or vintages when marian anderson was refused permission to sing in washington's constitution hall in 1939 it had nothing to do with her characteristics as a singer or as a person she was black and that was it similarly in baseball before Jackie Robinson broke the color line in 1947 no one cared what kind or quality of pitcher Satchel Paige was or how powerful a slugger Josh Gibson was they were black and that was enough to keep them out if we are to examine discrimination and its consequences today we cannot be as indiscriminate as the racists of the past or present we must make distinctions first as to some consistent meaning of the word discrimination and then in deriving criteria for determining when it applies we must also distinguish discrimination from other social or cultural factors that produce economic and other differences in outcome for different individuals and groups to many perhaps most americans there is 
racial discrimination when different rules and standards are applied to people who differ by race. To these Americans, there is a level playing field. And when the same rules and the same standards apply to everybody regardless of race, as traditional as this meaning of discrimination has been, a radically different conception of discrimination has a strong hold on many in the media and the academic world today, as well as among political and legal elites. For them, differences in life chances define discrimination. If a black child does not have the same likelihood as a white child of growing up to become an executive or scientist, then there is a racial discrimination by this definition. Even if the same rules and standards are applied to both in schools, the workplace and everywhere else. For those with this definition of discrimination, creating a level playing field means equalizing probabilities of success. Criteria which operate to prevent this are considered by them a form of discrimination in effect, even if not in intent. Whatever definition and accompanying set of policies one believes in, a serious discussion of racial discrimination of or of racial issues in general requires that we lay our cards face up on the table and not hide behind ambiguous and shifting words that render any attempted dialogue futile and ultimately poisonous. For purposes of our discussion here, the definition of discrimination will be the traditional one. Other views behind other definitions will not be dismissed, however, but will in fact be examined closely. Definitions are not chosen out of thin air. Underlying different definitions of racial discrimination are different beliefs about the way the world operates. So long as these beliefs confront each other only as opposing dogmas, there is no resolution other than by trying to shout each other down or prevail by force, whether political or physical. Many people believe that differences in life chances or differences in socio-economic results are unusual, suspicious and probably indicative of biased or malign social processes that operate to the detriment of particular racial and other groups. While there have been certainly numerous examples of discrimination in the traditional sense of applying different rules or standards to different groups in the United States and in other countries of the world, that is very different from claiming the converse that group differences in prospects or outcomes must derive from this source. Intergroup differences have been the rule, not the exception, in countries around the world and throughout centuries of history. Today, one need only turn on a television set 
and watch a professional basketball game to see that the races are not evenly or randomly represented in this sport or not in proportion to their representation in the general population of the United States. Racially, the teams do not look like America. Although not visible to the naked eye, neither do the beer companies that sponsor this and other athletic events. Most, if not all, of the leading beer producing companies in the United States were founded by people of German ancestry. So were most of the leading piano manufacturers. Nor is German domination of these two industries limited to the United States. The kind of demographic overrepresentation in particular lines of work found among blacks in basketball or Germans in beer brewing and piano making can also be found among Jews in the apparel industry. Not just in the contemporary New York, but also in the history of medieval Spain or the Ottoman Empire, the Russian Empire, Brazil, Germany and Chile. At one time, most of the clothing stores in Melbourne were owned by Jews, who have never been as much as 1% of the Australian population. Most of the people laying cable in Sydney, Australia are of Irish ancestry. All the billionaires in Thailand and Indonesia are from Chinese ancestry. Four-fifths of donut shops in California are owned by people of Cambodian ancestry. The list goes on and on and on. It would not no feat to fill a book with statistical disparities that have nothing to do with discrimination. What would be a real feat would be to get people to realize that correlation is not causation, especially when the numbers fit their preconceptions. Very often, the groups predominating in a particular field have no power to keep others out, except by excelling in the particular activity. Blacks cannot discriminate against whites in basketball where the franchises are owned by whites. The Chinese minority in Mal Malaysia or Indonesia cannot stop Malaysians or Indonesians from opening businesses, though historically most of the major domestic enterprises in both countries were created by people of Chinese ancestry. Nor could immigrants from India stop either blacks or whites from opening businesses in Kenya, though Indian entrepreneurs were once so predominant in Kenya and other parts of East Africa that the rupee became the predominant currency in that region. Some statistical disparities are of course caused by discrimination, just as some deaths are caused by cancer. But one cannot infer discrimination from statistics any more than one can infer cancer whenever someone dies. The absence of corroborating evidence of discrimination has forced some into claiming that the discrimination has been so subtle, covert or unconscious as to leave no tangible evidence. But this method of arguing where both the presence and the absence of empirical evidence prove the same thing would prove anything about anything anywhere in any time. 
Perhaps the most sweeping explanation of intergroup differences is that people are innately genetically different and that these differences permeate everything they do. As Madison Grant put it in his best-selling book The Passing of the Great Race in the early 20th century, race is everything. Virtually, no one believes that anymore and the Nazis revolted the world by showing where such doctrines can lead. However, the innate inferiority doctrine remains important socially and politically because it is an ominous presence in the background of discussions about other immediate practical issues. Much of the tone and substance of what is said today reflects a desire of many whites to escape the charge of racism and of many blacks to escape the charge of inferiority. A whole range of current trends from cultural relativism to bombastic Afrocentrism are hard to explain on their own intrinsic merits without reference to the ominous racial doctrines that they are seeking to exorcise. Without getting into the IQ controversy that I have dealt with elsewhere, history alone makes it hard to believe in fixed or innate superiority or inferiority among the peoples of the world. A thousand years ago, the Chinese were clearly far more advanced than the Europeans, whether technologically, organizationally or economically. Equally clearly, that relationship has reversed in recent centuries without any corresponding changes in the genetic makeup of either the Chinese or the Europeans. Within a much short period of time, Eastern European Jews in the United States went from having below average scores on intelligence tests during the First World War to having above average scores on such tests within one generation afterward. The enormous variety of geographic, cultural, demographic and other variables makes an even random or equal distribution of skills, values and performances virtually impossible. How could mountain peoples be expected to have seafaring skills? How could an industrial revolution have occurred in the Balkans where there are neither the natural resources required for it nor an economically feasible way of transporting those resources there? How could the indigenous peoples of the Western Hemisphere have transported the large loads that were transported overland for great distances in Europe and Asia? when the Western Hemisphere had no horses, oxen, camels or other comparable beasts of burden. Add to this great differences in the flora, fauna, climate, disease environments, topography and fertility of land from one region of the world to another among other variables and the prospects of equal achievements among peoples whose cultures evolved in very different settings shrinks to the vanishing point, even if every individual in the world had identical genetic endowments at the moment of conception. Nor are the effects of these environmental factors likely to vanish immediately when people from a given culture in a given environment 
move to another culture in another environment particular skills and general attitudes may follow the same people around the world given that germans were brewing beer in the days of the roman empire there is no reason to be surprised that they continue to brew beer in different places even when two groups begin to acquire skills initially foreign to both they may do so making different choices and applying themselves to different things during the decade of the 1960s the chinese minority in malaysia earned more than 400 engineering degrees while the malay majority earned just 4 nor can such differences be reduced to external differences in the immediate environment for the malays had preferential access to financial aid for higher education but they came from a culture very different from that of the chinese just a superficial glance like this suggests something of the innumerable factors operating against the even or random distribution of peoples in different activities and institutions that is assumed as a baseline for measuring discrimination statistically in some cases we can trace through history the particular skills that led to the dominance of one group or another in particular industries or occupations but in other cases we cannot in no case can we presuppose that the distribution would be random in the absence of discrimination